If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. I hope you have a Bible with you. You can have a, a printed copy. If it's on your phone, open up your app. I don't care how, uh, but I want you to turn with me in God's Word because uh, I will say this as we get started. It's good to be back with you now after three weeks. Did any of y'all miss me? Yeah, yeah. Roy's trying to tell me beforehand he did. I'm not sure he really did. Uh, my first week, I was gone on vacation, and then the next two weeks, I spent in quarantine at home. Uh, thankfully, Kim and I, neither one, we were hardly ever, we weren't really sick. To say we were sick was kind of hard because uh, we didn't really feel that bad for most of that time. We had each about a day that we felt bad. Other than that, we felt fine for the most part, but we had to be isolated to make sure we didn't get other sick. But it is so good to be back. I know in my absence that Andrew and Jonas have done a great job getting the year started off right, as they first reminded us that the gospel must be the foundation for all that we do. Jesus Christ is truly the one who changes life. He is the one who gives hope and gives us purpose. And the truth of his gospel must drive us as a church. And so they sent that foundation. And after that, they've kind of began reminding us of our vision as a church. They talked to us and shared with us how we want to love. That starts with loving God and loving others. That should be the truth of who we are. As we love God right, he helps us to love others right. And so we should be worshiping God with our lives, which leads us to the second part of that is live. As we love God right, we live that out. We live out what we say. We live the truth of who it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. It's something we do every day, not just on Sunday, but it's the truth of our everyday life. Now today, as we get to that third part, it's a lead. And ultimately, as a church, we want to be a church that leads. Ultimately, that we lead people to a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. That's the third part of our vision statement, leading people to a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. And so as we begin today, here's where I'm going to start. I'm going to start with a question. It's a question that I'm going to come back to at the end, and I really hope that you'll answer this question in a positive way, because how you answer this question individually and then how we answer this really church as a church collectively will truly affect the future. And so what is this question? Well, here it is. I want you to really ponder this this morning. You ready? Will you take the challenge to lead someone to a deeper walk with Jesus? All right, will you take the challenge to lead someone to a deeper walk with Jesus? Now, this is a challenging question. Like I said, we're going to come back to it at the end, and so let, let's, get, let's get ready to come back to the question, right? Because the first thing some of you may even ask is this. Well, Brother Scott, who, who are you asking this question really to? That's what we really know is this question really for me. Well, I'll be glad to answer who I'm asking this to. I'm asking this question to anyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ, if you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, this question is relevant to you. Will you lead someone to a deeper walk with Jesus? If you're a student, you might say, well, I'm too young, Brother Scott, to lead someone to a deeper walk with Jesus Christ. No, you're not. You may have a classmate. You may have a teammate. You may have a sibling. You may have a friend who needs a deeper walk with Jesus. And you as a student are the one who's in the perfect place to lead them to that deeper walk with Jesus Christ. How about young adults? Some of you are going to say, well, Brother Scott, I'm a young adult. I'm trying to get through college. I'm trying to get settled into a family. I'm trying to get in a career and all these. My life is busy. Well, that might be true, but I want you to know, for some of you, you are in the perfect place to lead someone to a deeper walk with Jesus Christ. You have those folks in your life that God's wanting you to impact. How about middle-aged adults like me? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a middle-aged adult now. How about us? You know, we're, we're in a different place in life. 
a little more settled. Maybe at a place where we're getting kind of getting that empty nest place in life where we got a little more time than we used to have. Well, it's a question for us. Why? Because there are people that God wants us to invest in. Now that we have some extra time, maybe it's to other people that we need to be looking toward. God is saying, yes, middle-aged person, this question is for you. How about senior adults? Yes, this question is for you. Don't ever say, you know what, I'm too old or I put in my time. There's never a place that God ever wants you to get to say, listen, I, I don't have time to invest or I'm too old to invest. No, God wants you. Think about even this, even if you're shut in as a senior adult, maybe some of you are home like that. Maybe you've got a grandchild that comes and sees you all the time. Maybe that person needs you to invest in them. We all have somebody in our life that God wants us to invest in. And so the question for us all is going to be, we take the challenge to lead someone to a deeper walk with Jesus. You see, I may not have hit your exact category this morning, but the question is still for you. And the way you fulfill this commitment might look different based upon your stage of life or, or your situation in life. I know that, but it's still the question you have to answer. Will you take the challenge to lead someone to a deeper walk with Jesus? Now, as you ponder that question, some of you are going to have some doubts, or maybe you're going to have some questions about what this question entails. The challenge for you today is to really, here it is, really to be a spiritual leader. And so what I want to do is help you take a few moments and make some observations about spiritual leaders from 2 Timothy 2, and maybe looking at a spiritual leader will help you understand what is needed and how you can be this spiritual leader in the world, how you can lead someone to a deeper walk with Jesus. If you haven't already, I want you to turn now, 2 Timothy 2. This letter is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy at the time was ministering in the city of Ephesus. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, at this time, he was in prison for his faith. In fact, here's what Paul knew when he wrote this letter, that his number of days on this earth were limited. He soon would die and go to be with the Lord. But he was taking time to write to Timothy because he wanted to leave some last impressions, some last words that we might say. And so let's look at the first two verses of chapter 2, and then we're going to make some observation. If these are some of the, Paul's last words, are obviously important words, and this is what he said. He said, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You can see Paul's love for Timothy here as he addresses Timothy as my child. You see, Paul saw Timothy as one of his children in the faith as he had invested in him. And there's no doubt that Paul had a great love for Timothy. But after addressing him in this way, we see him very quickly move to what is a very important characteristic of a spiritual leader, which is this. A spiritual leader is strengthened by the grace of God. You know, Paul here clearly was challenging Timothy to lead, but he started by pointing Timothy to his source of strength, God's grace. He wrote to Timothy, he said, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see, this ties back to what was shared the first Sunday this year about the need for the gospel to be central to our lives. It is the gospel that gives us hope. Even this past Sunday in Romans 12, if you remember, before we talked about giving our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, it was based upon the mercies of God. We present it based upon the mercies of God, or otherwise, it is based upon the grace of God, because every one of us needs the grace of God to strengthen our life. In fact, one of the reasons that Paul encouraged Timothy to be strengthened by God's grace is because he was clearly aware of how, if not careful, people can go the wrong direction, that even those who have been followers of Jesus Christ how they can even walk away from the faith. 
If you go back just one chapter, a few verses, Paul spoke of some who had chosen to go the wrong direction. In verse 15 of chapter 1, Paul said, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among who are Phygelus and Hermogenes. In other words, when things got tough for Paul as he proclaimed the truth of Jesus, as the, as the authorities didn't like it and as they, they, they felt threatened and arrested Paul, as that persecution came, some followers chose to abandon Paul, to abandon their faith because it got difficult. Or maybe there were things they didn't understand. But instead of standing firm in their faith and standing firm in their support of Paul and the gospel, they chose to turn away. It is why Paul said at the very first verse here in chapter 2, he said, Then you, my child, be strengthened by God's grace. Paul knew that if Timothy didn't lean upon the grace of God, that he too could be tempted to go in the wrong direction and abandon his faith when things got tough. You see, maybe you don't know this, but we are all, we are all susceptible to going in the wrong direction. Are you aware of that? Every one of us this morning are susceptible to even leaving the faith and saying, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. Because see, as I think about the experience that Paul had, I'm a little reminded of a study, I believe I've shared this with you a little bit, that George Barna did a few months into the coronavirus. It was about three or four months in, George Barna did a study. And in that study, what he found was that 30% of people who were regular church attenders before COVID, at that point, had not engaged with church at all. They'd not been in person and they had not been online, all right? Hear me, 30% of regular tenders. As he continued to do that study, he determined and believed the projection was this, that that 30% would never go back to church. I don't know if that statistic stuns you, but it does me. When I think about people, 30% of people who attended church before COVID to say that they're never going to come back to church, that, that burns my heart. And I say, how can that be? Now, I'm sure there's various reasons for this, but one reason would surely have to be that they were failing to look to the right thing for strength or that they never truly engaged in the first place. See, ultimately, the reality of so many in church disengaging reminds us why this message today and the ones we're going to share in the next few weeks are so important. Because as a whole, hear me, people need a deeper walk with Jesus. We today specifically even need to be reminded that each one of us, we need to look to God's grace for strength every day so that we don't fall away because there's not a one of us here today that's immune to it. Let me tell you why God's grace is so important for you if you want to be a spiritual leader, some of you will even look and say this, you know, I, you know, Brother Scott, I cannot lead someone to a deeper walk with God because my past is just a mess. If you knew my past, you wouldn't ask me to lead someone spiritually. If that's you, let me remind you that God's grace, listen, can redeem you from your past. Your past does not have to define your present or your past does not have to define your future. That God's grace can redeem you from that past. In fact, if there's anyone that had the argument that says, I, I, I cannot lead anyone spiritually because of my past, it was the Apostle Paul. Remember what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15? He says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You see, Paul in these words reminded people that if his past defined him, that he wasn't worthy to be called an apostle. He wasn't worthy to lead others to a deeper walk with Jesus. Why? Because he had spent time persecuting the church. Because he was personally responsible for the death of Christians. However, when he encountered God's grace, it was God's grace that changed his life. 
Many of you know his story. You know how Paul was on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to persecute Christians further. When God blinded him with that light, when Jesus Christ revealed the truth of who he was to Paul, and in that moment, Paul gave his life to Jesus Christ, and it was changed forever. And Paul became most likely one of the greatest evangelists and missionaries who ever lived. Paul made it clear it was the grace of God that made him who he was. It was God's grace that forgave him of his past sin. It was God's grace that gave him his calling to preach the gospel to the Gentile. And it was God's grace that worked in him to help him do all the work he did for the gospel. What we all need to realize today is this. That same grace is the grace that not only saves people today, It is the same grace that empowers you to live for and to serve God daily. If you are a believer, you need to be strengthened by that grace. And if Satan tries to remind you of your past and say you cannot serve God because of your past, or if Satan tries to look at you and say you're not able to lead someone spiritually, you need to remind him of this, that God's grace not only saved you, but it's the same grace that redeemed you of your past, and it is empowering you today to invest in someone else. You remind Satan of that because God's grace is sufficient. You see, even with that said, let me pause and even ask this question. Have you experienced the grace of God? There may be some listening today, either here or even online, and you've never experienced the grace of God. And so let me remind you that it is the grace of God that had Jesus, the perfect son of God, die on a cross for your sin. That God had Jesus Christ crucified because he knew you, he knew me, he knew everyone is incapable of paying for their own sin. And so God provided a sacrifice. He provided a payment, the death of the perfect one, Jesus Christ. And then Jesus rose from the dead to prove he conquered sin. It's not just that he paid the price for sin, he conquered it. He conquered sin to the point that sin does not have to control you anymore. And so today, if you'll confess your sin to God, accept Jesus as your Savior, accept his sacrifice as a payment for your sin, and invite Jesus in to forgive you and take control, then you too can experience God's grace. The grace that forgives you of your past, the grace that empowers you in the present, and the grace that promises you eternal life in the future when your life on this earth is done. If you've never experienced that grace, your first step in investing in someone else is to give your life to Jesus Christ and experience that grace on your own. Now, many of you will say, though, well, Scott, I've done that, but I I still not believe that I can invest in someone else because what I'm dealing with in life is more than I can handle. I mean, I, I just got a lot going on. Well, let me remind you that God's grace not only deals with your past, but it is the power for the present. You all probably know this verse by now because you've heard it many times. The Apostle Paul himself had difficulty in life. He had a lot of hard times. There's specifically one thing going on in his life where he prayed to God three times intently for God to take it out of his life. We don't know what it was. We don't know if it was a difficult situation. We don't know if it was a sickness. We don't know what it was, but Paul prayed for it to leave. The word tells us that it never happened. God never took it away, but God gave him a response. And this is a response that God gave to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul goes on to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am what? I am strong. You see, God told Paul that his grace was sufficient. So let me remind you in part that God's grace means his unmerited love. And why is God's grace sufficient even for our difficulties? 
because it is often in the times of our greatest difficulties when we see God work the most and we are reminded of his power and his love. It is often in those times of difficulty that God allows and works through that we grow the most, that we learn the most, that our faith is exercised the most. Those times of difficulty are, in the end, great gifts from God. You hear me, all right? Times of difficulty in life can be great gifts from God. Difficulties in life shouldn't be seen as hindrances. They should be seen as opportunities. Think about it this way. As a parent, I know for me, I'm speaking for me anyway, I can have a tendency to want to rescue my children. Any other parent know what I'm talking about? And it doesn't even matter how old they get. I always seem to want to rescue my children. But, but you know, one thing I've learned in life, here's what I've learned as a parent. It's not always good to rescue your child. There's times when you rescue your child, you know what, you're, you're actually doing them more harm than good because those difficulties are there and they need it and they need to work through that. They need to grow through that. And if all you do is rescue them, you're gonna stunt their growth. And God knows the same for us. Why does God sometimes in our life allow difficulties? Because he knows we need them. And sometimes when we think God's not working, God's stepping back and say, listen, I can take care of this in a heartbeat. I'm ready to step in when I need to. If I need to do a miracle, I'm ready to do that if that's the right thing. I'm ready to do whatever. I'm ready to give you wisdom if that's what you need. But at this moment, I'm watching because I know you need this difficulty in your life to grow you and to mature you. And he's watching you do that. You see, parents, y'all know what this is like, right? I know there's times with my kids, again, I've wanted to rescue them, but I need to look and say, no, it's not for me to do. That difficulty, you go talk to your teacher, not me. It's not for me to do. You need to go do that, all right? You need to do that. That coach you're having issues with? No, no. I'm not going to step in. And do. You go talk to your coach. You need to work through this. And sometimes it's not even resolved the way you work. But here's what happens. In the middle of that, that child can grow as they learn to work through difficulties in life. And God sometimes is doing the same with that, us. I share those things because there are probably some parents that need a reminder that you don't always need to be rescuing your kid, all right? You need that reminder. But again, it's more a reminder to us that when God doesn't rescue us, it is an act of his grace because he knows what is best for us, including when to step into work and when to hold off on acting. I share all that to say to those who look at life and say, I have too much going on to be a spiritual leader, that God can give you the grace you need to help you, all right, and to help someone else grow in their relationship with God. I would even say he longs to pour out his grace for such a thing. What I know to be true is that if you want to be a spiritual leader, then you must be strengthened by the grace of God, and God is ready to pour that grace on you. But that's not all you need. You don't just need the grace of God because a spiritual leader is also a lifelong learner. Notice back in verse 2, Paul says this to Timothy. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Paul's making reference to the fact that Timothy had been with Paul and he had learned many things from Paul. Already mentioned that Paul considered Timothy his child in the faith. And so Timothy had learned many things from Paul. You can also go back to chapter one and Paul said this to Timothy in verses five. He said, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I'm sure it dwells in you as well. That statement tells me that Timothy was a man who had learned from his grandmother and his mother. They had taught him about what it means to have faith. Timothy had proved to be a person who was willing to learn from others. However, Paul didn't want Timothy to rest on what he had learned. He also challenged him to continue to learn. Later in chapter 2, Paul says this to Timothy, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearer. Look at what he says then. Do your best 
to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who needs not be ashamed, but rightly handling the word of truth. In other words, Paul was saying to Timothy, Timothy, keep learning, keep studying, keep working hard to make sure you know what you believe and that you know the truth of God's word. It was important for Timothy to do this because if not, Timothy would get caught up in quarrels about words. Or later that I didn't read, and you can read it later, Paul was telling Timothy not to get caught up in foolish, ignorant controversies. You see, this warning from Paul is very relevant to us today because how much time in our day is wasted on foolish, ignorant controversies? A bunch, right? In fact, God's people, let me say this. God's people today have so failed to learn God's truth that we have allowed our very selves to be caught up in foolish controversies in our society, and in the process, we are doing harm to the gospel. All right, there should be amens to that. Paul wanted Timothy to continue to learn, to continue to grow in his knowledge of the truth, to be a worker who had no need to be ashamed, to be one who rightly handled the word of truth. It is something that every believer needs to do in his or her own life. Continue to study and know God and to know his word. It is so important for someone who wants to be a spiritual leader to be a lifelong learner. Sometimes we are learning old truths that we just need to be reminded of. We all occasionally need to be reminded of things we already knew, right? I know I do, but the reality of God's Word is this. It's inexhaustible. You can study your whole life and still learn. Therefore, we should always want to be learning, learning to make sure that we know God's truth and are living God's truth. If nothing else, here's what I know, all right? We're always learning how to apply God's truth to our current circumstances, right? Hear me. Our circumstances always change, always change right? Shake your head this way, right? Our circumstances always change. God's truth never changes. So we have to learn how to apply God's truth to our current circumstances. We must always be learning, all right? Let me give you kind of even an example of how we must learn. You know, as you begin to hear us share with you over the next few weeks and months a plan for discipleship, again, which is going to start taking shape soon, I have to confess that what we're looking to do is something that I have personally, all right, not experienced in life. I never had someone who came alongside me and took me under their wing and said, I want to invest in you. I want to help you grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, I've had, you know, friends. I've had, you know, people in ministry that that through the years we've learned from each other. We've we've invested in each other that way. But, But I never personally had that person who said, hey, I want to help you have a deeper walk with Jesus. Therefore, I would go on to say, I, in turn, have never been the best at doing this for someone else. Likewise, what is clear is that churches everywhere have not done a good job of personally discipling its its people, and it needs to change. That means for me personally, I have a choice. Just continue on as I have been, or take the challenge to say I'm willing to learn something new in order then to share with someone else. I'll go ahead and tell you I've chosen the latter. I've been reading, investing, talking with other staff, planning, and our intent is to move forward in a way that we believe is good for the church as a whole and is great for the kingdom of God. I'm willing to learn in order to lead. I must because that is what it means to be a spiritual leader, always learning. Even think about this. There are some who will hear the challenge to lead someone to a deeper walk with Jesus who then says this, I don't know enough to lead someone else. If that is you, just know that if you take the challenge to be a learner yourself, then you can lead someone by simply saying this. Are you ready? Let's learn 
together. Let's learn together. And as you study and as you learn, you can be investing in someone else at the same time and you can hold each other accountable as you both grow in the Lord. I need to say this because leading someone doesn't require you to have everything figured out before you start, but it does require you to be willing to learn and take the time with someone. And for many here today, as we challenge the church with the discipleship plan, it will be a new concept for you. That's okay. Just be willing to be a learner in order to be a spiritual leader that God wants. Because if you're willing to be strengthened by God's grace and willing to be a lifelong learner, then you'll be ready to go to the next phase, which I've already been alluding to, which is this, a spiritual leader who invests in others, all right? Look, look back at verse two again. Look what Paul said to Timothy. He said, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able then to teach others also, all right? Look at the progression. Paul said to Timothy, basically, You've learned from me. Now you entrust what I've taught you to others so that then they will be able to teach others. Now, as we think about what Paul said here for a few moments, I'm, I'm gonna make some obvious observation, but I don't know that we think about it a lot. Here it is. If you minister, however that is for you, if you minister in any way, however that is for you, but you fail to invest personally in others, then your influence and your ministry dies with you, okay? However, if you invest personally in others who then invest in others, then your influence and ministry go on well past your lifetime. Also, as you invest in others and they invest in others, the scope of ministry is multiplied. If you invest in, let's say, give you an example, let's say you intentionally say, I'm gonna invest in three people and I'm gonna help them grow in faith. And you spend a little time helping them. So after a period of time, then you take that three and say, okay, I'm going to grab three more. You each grab three. In a short period of time, your ministry goes from four to 16. And think about this. If that 16 takes the same challenge in a short period of time and they do the same, and in a short period of time, your ministry now is multiplied to 64. Then if you take that one step further, it's multiplied to 256. And if we just go one step further, it becomes 1,024 people. Think about that, all right? In a short period of time, does, did that make sense to you? All right, in a short period of time, you as a minister can have an influence that goes from four or one, whatever, to 1,000 in just a very short period of time. Does that sound exciting to you? <laughs> Some of you say, no, it scares me to death, right? I hope as a believer that would be exciting to you. It's no wonder why Paul was calling Timothy to invest in others so that they could then invest in others. And I can clearly say to invest in others is a calling that God has on our lives. In fact, if you need another motivation, I want you to take a moment and consider what Jesus did. What was Jesus' example for us? Now, we all know this, that Jesus taught the crowds, right? I mean, he was a great teacher. I mean, he was a much better preacher than me. And so, man, he drew crowds. Everybody wanted to come here, Jesus teach. And so we know that he drew crowds as he taught the people. But you know something? If you read your Bible, here's what you're going to discover. You know where Jesus' most difficult teachings took place? You want to know where? It wasn't amongst the crowds. Where was his most difficult teachings? It was with his 12 disciples. 
a handful of men that Jesus was investing in, that he personally and heavily invested his life in, that ultimately, what did Jesus do with these 12 men? He, he charged them to take the message to the world. And what happened? This small group of disciples in a few short years turned the world upside down. This small group of disciples quickly spread the gospel, which truly led at some point that even every believer who is listening to me today came to know the truth of Jesus Christ through their influence. In fact, even if you look at Jesus and his investment in people, you can think about that group of 12. Even within that group of 12, it appears that Jesus invested more deeply in three, Peter, James, and John. And if you know anything about Peter, James, and John, they were clearly leaders amongst the group of disciples and even the early church, okay? When we think of this, here's what Jesus modeled for us. Intentionally investing in a smaller number of people, but for greater impact. Because as I said, and as the scripture shows, these men who Jesus invested in turned the world upside down as they proclaimed the truth of Jesus Christ and invested in others. And they were able to do this because not only did they have firsthand experience with Jesus, but Jesus invested in them. In fact, just before his arrest leading to his crucifixion, Jesus had a special prayer time. And in that prayer time to God, he said this about his disciples in John 17, 7 and 8. Now they know that everything that you have given to me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. Now catch this. Jesus in his prayer time noted that God the Father had given him the words. And Jesus then gave his words to the disciples. And the disciples received those words and believed. And light, in fact, of what Jesus prayed, here's what we can actually say. This model of investment, it didn't even start with Jesus. It started with God the Father who invested in the Son, and then the Son invested in the disciples who eventually, again, invested in others who has led to us. You see, it points us all to this fact, that we're going to be asking you to, to, to take this challenge because ultimately this is a biblical challenge. It is just saying carry on the biblical tradition that some of us have become laxed in doing. What unfortunately we in the church have done is simply entrust the responsibility of investing in others to professional clergy. And in the process, we have limited the influence of the church. I'm here to say that needs to change. If the church is going to have the impact it needs to have, all believers need to step up and say, I will invest in others. And just to be clear what we're asking you to do, listen to what Paul said was his goal in Colossians 1, 28. Him, that being Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I hope you see the goal here. The goal here is investing in people through the power of God that they might become mature. Hear me clearly. The goal here isn't about building a church. It's not about building a church. And it isn't about being perfect in everything we do. The goal is investing in people and helping them mature in Christ. Too often, you know what we do? We get focused on a program or activity and we miss people. 
We get focused on doing church and missing people. We get focused on drawing a crowd or checking off a list of things we feel like we must do and then being satisfied. And in the process, we often miss helping people grow in their relationship with God and becoming a mature, mature believer who then invests in others. We must change the course of things for the future. I don't even want us to get hung up on a discipleship program. What I want us to, get, what I want us to do is to get excited about investing in people. Do you hear that? Be excited about investing in people. Therefore, as we come to the end today, let me come back to my original question. Will you take the challenge to lead someone to a deeper walk with Jesus? Now, as you ponder this question, let's be honest and recognize the responses to that question will be varied this morning. All right, some will hear this and quickly say, you know what, Brother Scott? Man, I'm ready for the challenge. I'm ready to go. Man, I've been waiting for something like this for many years. I'm, I'm ready to go. Well, if that's you, here's what I know. I, Take off, go for it. In fact, here's what we can do. We can give you a resource if you need to put in your hand so that you can go and you can invest in somebody if you're ready to do that. A second option might be this. As we launch some groups in the next few weeks, you might just simply say, hey, I wanna be a part of some of these launch groups. I wanna come along somebody and I wanna learn how this works. So I do it right. You can know that as we launch these pilot groups, these discipleship groups, that you can get involved. Just let us know. You might say, hey, I'm on board. I am ready. I want to be a part of this, and we will surely get you plugged in. There might be, though, some others who say, you know what? I don't, I don't know that I'm ready to do this. Well, maybe you need to grab someone who is mature in the faith and say, I'll, will you invest in me? I'm sure you can find someone who'd be willing, if asked, to invest in you in the Lord. They might say, well, I'm willing, but I don't know what to do. Well, then come to us, and guess what we'll do? We'll give you the resources so they can invest in you. If they're willing to do that, we'll do that. There'll be others. Let's just be honest. You hear me say this and you'll say, brother, Scott, ah, my heart's not into that. I, I, I just, no, I'm not there at all. My heart's not there. Well, let's be honest. There are times when we know what God wants us to do, but our heart's not there. Right? Right? Anybody ever been in a place where you needed to forgive somebody and you knew you needed to, but your heart wasn't in it? You know what, you, you know what I'm asking you to do then? Here, here's simply what I'm asking you to do. Begin to pray and say, God, Give me a heart that wants to do this. My heart's not there yet, God, but give me a heart that wants to do this. Because you know what prayer does? Here's what prayer does. Prayer doesn't change God. Y'all know that, right? You know God doesn't change? Your prayer doesn't change God. What does prayer do? Prayer gets you in tune with God so that you hear God, so that you know God, and so that God changes you, me, right? And so go to God and just simply say, God, I know what Brother Scott said. I believe it's scriptural. I know that's what you, but God, my heart's not there. And so just be honest with God and say, God, my heart's not in it, but I want it to be. Lord, change my heart. And I know this, if you'll keep praying that prayer, you keep praying, you know what God will do? I have no doubt he will change your heart and he'll get it where it needs to be. And so wherever you are this morning, our desire is we wanna help you. We wanna help you invest in others for the gospel. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to come to a time of invitation. And this invitation is for you this morning. Some of you, let's be honest, again, before you invest in someone else, you need to know this grace. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you this morning to come. Again, Jesus died for you. He wants to forgive you of your sin. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to redeem you. He wants to give you purpose. He wants to pour his grace upon you. And so if you've never received it, let this invitation be a time where you open your heart to Jesus Christ. He's ready to change your life. 
If you're here this morning and you say, Brother Scott, I hear what you say. I'm ready to go. Maybe begin to pray. God, who are the people that you want me to invest in? Lord, show me those. Bring them to my mind and give me the strength to reach out and begin this process with somebody. Again, if your heart's not quite there, just begin. Lord, change my heart. I wanted to be there. God, I hear this. This is exciting. But my heart's not. God, will you change me? I don't know where you are this morning, but I believe whoever you are, there's something for you during this invitation. So our praise team's going to come. They're going to lead it as in a song of invitation. So why don't you go ahead and stand. I'm going to pray for us. But during this invitation, whatever God is leading you to do, you come and make that commitment. Offer up that prayer, whatever you need to do this morning during this invitation time. Let me pray. Father, as we come, we do a thank you for your word, and we thank you for the challenge that it gives us. Even for the times, Father, when we recognize that our hearts are not right, we thank you for that challenge. And so during this invitation, God, we just open our life up to you, and I pray, Lord, that you'll work, pull your spirit out, move. Again, some lives here today need to receive your grace. I pray they'd open their hearts to you for the first time. But for all of us, Father, I know that you've got a challenge for us. Every believer here today, Lord, I know you're challenged us to invest in others. And so, Father, speak to our hearts, speak to our lives, and help us to be about what you're calling us to do. And so bless this invitation, Lord. Again, you move in a mighty way. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.